0: Whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever size your living space, you can do more than you think to lead a greener lifestyle. In the Sustainability Book Chat, we are talking to authors and experts about all the different ways that achieving sustainability is within your reach. everyone, and welcome to today's episode. This is going to be a really interesting episode today. I am joined by Colleen Rapp, the author of Homestead Cows, The Complete Guide to Raising Healthy, Happy Cows. She's actually the co-author along with her husband, Eric, and together they raise pineywood cattle on their farm in Kansas, as well as rabbits. Welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. This is going to be really interesting because I know so many people, including myself, you know, more than 20 years ago, I thought if I want milk on my farm that I need to have cows. Right. And I I just got the goats because I wanted to make Chev. because I Uh did not realize that you can do a lot of the same things with dairy. Right. And so I know there are a lot of people who think, oh, I want cows. And so let's talk about that today. Okay. I know you're also a zookeeper and in a children's zoo in Kansas. And so you get the opportunity to meet a lot of people who, as you just said before we went on the air, they don't know what they don't know, which I think is a wonderful background for an author to have. So tell us a little bit about what are some of the things that you find that a lot of people don't understand about cattle? Like, what is it that they don't know that they should know? You know, there are quite a few
1: things and that was one of the reasons we kind of went the direction we did it with the book, you know, because you don't know what you don't know. So we tried to like kind of go from a basic standpoint so that hopefully people could even know what questions to ask. Just a quick little story. Many years ago here at the zoo, we were getting ready to do a milking demonstration with a cow, you know, that was lactating and everything and a guest who had an infant with her couldn't believe that the cow had to have a calf before she could start producing milk. And that just, you know, I thought everybody knew that. But of course, this woman had no experience that would have told her that cows are mammals. They're the same as humans. You don't just randomly give milk. So that was just kind of one of the things that kind of made me want to write a book that answers those questions for people. And so over the years, I've had a chance to work with a variety of breeds here at the zoo. And so that's just kind of, you know, helped me build some experience working with a lot of different breeds and learning about them.
0: That is such a great point. You know, when I was still new to goats, I did not understand the first time somebody asked me the question, how do you make the goat make milk? Yeah. Because I, I was like you, like, I thought everybody knew that, like, this is the way it works with mammals. You have a baby and then your body makes milk right. to feed that baby. And right. the one phone call I will never forget was the woman who called me and said, yeah, I was thinking about Nigerian dwarf goats, but I wanted to know, do they have to get pregnant first before you can milk them? And I said, well, yes, all mammals have to get pregnant before they will produce milk. Oh, no, they don't. No, I, they're not really dairy goats then. Okay, thank you. Bye. <laughs> wow. wow. Like, I yeah. just wonder, like, how many different breeders did she call of different breeds and come to the right. conclusion? Okay, so there are no dairy goats based on her definition of the word. Right. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. But I mean, so many people, their experience with milk is just going to the cooler at the grocery store and pulling the gallon out. You know, they don't think about what is behind all of it.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I discovered in having cows, like we have 32 acres, which is a lot, but the barn is only about a hundred yards from the house. Right. And I felt like we needed more room for cows because mm-hmm. cows produce wet manure which attracts flies and going back to my childhood in Texas, my grandparents ranch, my uncle's ranch. I don't remember flies being a problem, but they had like lots of acres and the cows were like way out there. So people always find it shocking that it's not illegal to have any livestock in the city of Chicago, any livestock at all. (laughs) Really? And every time they try to pass a law to make it illegal, the chicken people come out and say, well, we already have all the, the laws we need to keep things clean, you know, like nobody's going to get a cow in the city of Chicago because it's going to violate all of the ordinances on trash and flies and attracting rodents and all this kind of stuff. So, okay. City of Chicago, we definitely a bad idea on a city lot, right? What kind of land do people need to have before they start thinking about cows?
1: Well, um, with cows being a bigger animal, obviously they need more room. And one of the rules of thumb is like an acre or two per cow that can vary a lot, you know, with how much pasture you have or, you know, anything like that. So it's kind of hard, you know, to give an absolute, but a general rule of thumb, I probably wouldn't want to try to keep more than a couple of cows on, on less than five or six acres. And then of course, there's always going to be variations to that space is really something that you kind of need to take in to consideration. So cows are super adaptable and they can, you know, adapt to just about any circumstances, but they do poop a little more.
0: Yeah. One of the things I was grateful for is that we did have 32 acres of grass that they could eat. And that's one of the things that I point out to people that cows eat a lot. So They do. If you don't have a lot of grass to feed them, you're going to have to buy hay. Right.
1: Right. And cattle being ruminants, you know, forage is the biggest part of their diet. You know, they absolutely need that for everything to function well. So, you know, whether it's acreage or hay, I mean, we we buy hay for the winter because we like to let our pasture rest and recover through there. So we buy hay for the winter, but then they graze throughout the growing season. So forage, forage, forage.
0: Yeah, exactly. When it comes to choosing a breed, um, I know you have Piney Woods, but why don't we just start with that? Why did you choose Piney Woods? You know, I just
1: fell in love with them. I mean, there are so many cattle breeds that I really, really do like a lot. I worked with milking Devons. They're a great breed of cattle. They make great oxen, you know, good milkers, Guernsey's, Brown Swiss you know, a lot of really good cattle breeds, but there was just something about the piney woods that I fell in love with. I think I love the fact that they're so colorful. You know, I never know what color pattern we're gonna get and, you know, color, you don't eat that, you can't milk that. But for me, that's just part of the fun is seeing what the calves look like. We really like their heat tolerance. They're a breed that was originally from the deep south, so they evolved to be very hardy, very parasite resistant, and very heat tolerant. And so our piney woods will be out grazing when it's 105 degrees, you know, in the blaring sun, while our neighbor cows, which are usually black Angus, are in the pond under the shade trees, you know, trying everything to escape the heat. And the piney woods like, oh, is it warm? Okay. We don't really care. So that was a big plus for us with that particular breed.
0: That's awesome. I am partial to heritage breeds myself. We had Irish Dexters mm-hmm. for seven or eight years. Right. And I just loved how adaptable they were. And mm-hmm. they just did such a great job. You know, like yep. they would have their babies and nurse them and make them grow big and healthy, on nothing but pasture, yep, which I really loved. Now, one mistake I made when choosing the Irish Dexter, I picked it because it was the smallest breed mm-hmm. on the conservancy list. And I thought, oh, well, I'm new, so I should get the smallest breed. Right. What I didn't realize until I had them for a few months, was that, yeah, it really doesn't matter if it weighs 500 pounds or 1,000 pounds. (laughs) Like, either one is going to outweigh me. Right. So let's just drop that flawed logic that I used. And um, because I still hear other people say that, oh, we're going to get them because they're the smallest. (laughs) And it's like, uh, yeah, you know, we're talking like five to 700 pounds here. Right. So other than that, like, what would be a good starter breed for somebody that has no experience with cattle?
1: I think you want to look for a breed that's known for having a good disposition, especially if you're going to be milking them, you're going to spend a lot of time with that animal. So you want an animal that is going to be easygoing. You don't have to chase it. It won't run over you, that kind of thing. There are a lot of the breeds that are on the livestock conservancy's priority list that are known for being pretty easy going. I know Dexters are one, Milking Devons are one, the Piney woods we've had have been pretty easygoing. So that would be one of the first things I would advise somebody is to just be honest with your experience level and try to find a breed. And then from there, find a breeder who has well-behaved cattle, you know, somebody who works with them enough that they can tell you, Oh, Susie, she's an easygoing cow. She'll be great for you. Lulu, you don't want her. She's a a little goofy. Somebody who can really kind of tell you about their individuals.
0: That is such wonderful advice because (laughs) the first time we got two Irish Dexter heifers, we bought them from this very old couple. The -hmm. woman had had breast cancer for the last couple of years the husband was not in good health either. And so these two heifers had had zero attention from the time they were born. Right. Nobody's fault, you know? No, it's just yeah. the reality. Right. And it was just, it was an absolute nightmare. Like mm-hmm. I could tell you so many stories. It was like a real life rodeo. Right you know, every time we wanted to do something. And I've, it ultimately ended like with a cow, like dragging my son across the pasture because he got wrapped up with a rope oh, and yeah. like, I thought he was dead. And I'm like, this oh, no, we can't do this. We have to sell these cows. Somebody is going to get seriously injured if not killed, but I wanted more. So after a couple of years, I started looking for more. And then I was asking people, I was like, how friendly are your cows? Can you right. send me a picture of you petting this cow? <laughs> <laughs> that they, they did. You know, the, I found this really nice lady in Missouri who, she's out there with her cows every day, and she sent me pictures yeah. of her petting her cows. <laughs> and I'm
1: like, right. okay,
0: I will buy those two cows. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, it worked better.
0: Oh yes, much better. Yeah, they were very much easier to handle. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. those those first two cows were practically feral.
1: Yeah, they were. I'm sure that they were because, you know, calves that haven't seen people or, you know, been around their moms when their moms have, you know, interacted with people, they don't know what those strange two-legged creatures are. And they're like, Nope. Yeah.
0: I think like a lot of people, I thought, Oh, this is going to be lovely. We're just going to walk out there. And we're just going to milk them, you yeah. know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Did not, not so easy. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. No. And if milking is in your game plan, you know, ask people, do they milk them? Have they ever milked them? Because, you know, I I think a lot of an animal's disposition is inherited, whether it's genetic or whether they just learn by being around a mom who does things calmly. Mm -hmm. It goes a long way towards, you know, having a well-behaved animal.
0: Yeah. So if somebody wants cattle, what do they need in terms of housing? Depending on your climate,
1: cattle are usually really, really hardy. In the winter with our piney woods, we have sheds for them that they can get out of the weather. And most of the time, unless it's like driving snow, you know, super wind chill, they just bed down out in the hay and they handle it pretty well. If they have a chance to adapt to your weather, like don't bring a cow from Florida to Montana in December. They're not gonna have the time to adapt but if they can get out of the worst of the elements, they don't need anything special. A three-sided shed, a good thick stand of timber. One of the worst weather combinations for cattle or any animal really is for it to be wet and cold. Most of the time, if they're dry, they can handle, you know, sub-zero temperatures, but it's like a freezing rain or something and that hair gets wet, it can't insulate them. So if you live in a region where, you're prone to having freezing rain, which in Kansas we get freezing rain and ice more often than we get true snow. So it is helpful to have a roof or something that they can stay dry in. And, you know, like I was saying, our piney woods, we really don't have to do anything with them in the summer extremes. They handle that pretty well, but again, shade, access to fresh water, you know, goes a long way, but cattle are pretty hardy.
0: Okay. And then, um, The next question I was going to ask you was about fencing for cattle. Um, Oh, yeah. I recently got a question from somebody uh, who wanted to get goats. She's like, do I really have to have fencing? Won't they just stay in my yard? (laughs) Um, No, no. I haven't seen their yard, but I can answer that. No. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the topic of fencing now has a whole new level of, let's start with the basics here. Yes, you need a fence. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: And depending on the cattle you have, if you're going to have a bull, you need substantial fence because the bull's one job is to breed cows. And if you only have a couple cows and he's bred them, he's going to go start looking for neighbor cows to breed. Oh yeah. (laughs) You need a substantial fence, whether it's, you know, multi-strand barbed wire, hot wire, anything like that. It's got to be substantial. You can- probably be a little less substantial if you just have a couple of females and you go the AI route to get calves. We have a pretty good tight barbed wire fence, but it's also reinforced in places with a strand of hot wire just to remind them that it's not for pushing on. Cattle can find remarkable places to get through fence, kind of like goats, but on a larger scale. So fencing is really something that you can't take for granted. I mean, you need to maintain your fences and, you know, make sure they're substantial.
0: Yeah. So many people, I feel unfairly say that goats are like really hard to keep in. Any animal is hard to keep in without the right kind of fencing. That's right. And I really do not think goats are any harder to keep in than pigs or cattle. Right. Our biggest challenge with the cattle is that we have a creek that runs through our property and every time that creek floods, it would short out the electric fencing. Uh-huh. And then the cows being big animals, right. as the creek started to go back down, they would just head out to the creek and just walk down the creek right. to leave. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: And, and I swear, Hotwire, I swear they know when it's not working, Yep. whether okay. they can hear it, whether they can smell it. You know, it's out on the cow internet, but hey, the fence is grounded out today. They, they'll figure it out pretty darn quick.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because we only had two Irish Dexter cows and we had a bull, which was not a good idea. Like you said, like he got those two cows pregnant and he's like, OK, where are the other girls? Yeah. You know, yep. and then you get a phone call from your neighbor who raises purebred cattle who's like your yeah. bulls over here bothering my heifers and you're like yep. I'm so sorry and then oh, right the there. only way we were able to get that bull away was to tie him to the pickup truck like there was no I mean he was like what eight nine hundred pounds like there was no way we were going to get him to budge right like just as yeah. a mere human you know right.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, he had work to do. Yeah. He wasn't off the clock. So yeah. And that's, you know, that's a really good point. If someone is beginning in cattle, starting with a bull may not be the right course of action.
0: Yeah. You know, um, <laughs>
1: artificial insemination is a great tool. Like I always say, nobody's ever been charged in the pasture by a liquid nitrogen tank. <laughs> you know, you're going to spend more Going to AI school, learning to do it right, investing in the equipment, but you can sleep at night knowing your AI tank has not jumped the fence in with your neighbor cows. And if you're just starting out, it might be a good idea to kind of get your feet wet with just the cows before you jump into a bull. I know there's several companies that a lot of vets can do AI for you. You know, like the zoo has a ABS, American Breeder Service rep that maintains our nitrogen tank, you know, she AIs. So there's people that can do it for you. If you want to try to go that way, it's a lot easier starting out. It'll cost a little bit more, but you know, it it can definitely be worth it in the long run.
0: Yeah. And if you've only got two or three cows, I think if you add up the cost of like buying the bull, feeding the bull and everything, it really isn't going to cost you (laughs) more. Yeah. No, it doesn't pencil out. Yeah. Cause he's going to breed, you know, in two days at a 365,
1: he's done his job. So you're feeding him for 363 days. He's not working.
0: Yeah. So the AI actually turns out to be a really good deal for people that don't have very many cattle. Right. And with the internet, you can always find somebody who probably has had their bull
1: collected of your breed, you know, I know you can find Dexter semen, you can find Pineywood semen, you know, it's out there for whatever breed you decide to go with. So it's definitely worth looking into.
0: So what are some of the just final thoughts in terms of common beginner mistakes that people have made? Other than the ones I've already mentioned that I made. (laughs) Don't buy a (laughs) bull.
1: Yeah, I think maybe underestimating the space that they need or how big they are, especially if you you had any experience with smaller livestock, it's easy to underestimate just how much space they take up and how much they'll need to eat. That is one advantage to the smaller breeds is that they wind up generally eating a lot less than some of your larger breeds. So they can be a lot more efficient that way. But I think... Another piece of advice I might give, although I didn't do this, I fell in love with a breed and then, you know, that was it. That was, Piney Woods were the only one for me, but be open-minded, you know, maybe you love a breed, but maybe they're not as easily available in your area. There's no harm in getting some starter animals, you know, maybe some crossbred cattle or something, get some experience And then maybe step into a a heritage breed or a a conservation breed once you've kind of got your feet wet. So there's nothing wrong with considering to do that. I love cows and I would never try to talk anybody out of getting cows, but, you know, just kind of do some homework. That's one of the the things kind of behind our book is we wanted to give people just, you know, some information that they might not have thought of before getting into it. So kind of do your research, you know, and everything like that before you start out.
0: Okay, great. Those are some really good tips. It's been a while since we got our cattle. And so this was a lovely trip down memory lane for me (laughs) in terms of, yeah, don't make all these mistakes we did. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. I think a lot of people are going to find this really helpful. I want to be as helpful to people getting started as possible.
1: So We can always be emailed or contacted on Facebook if people have questions that, you know, we might not have addressed in the book or anything like that. And your website
0: is rarehairbarn.com, right? Yep. And that's our Facebook page as well. So stop by, check us out. Okay, great. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: And that's it for today's episode. You can find show notes at thriftyhomesteader.com slash book chat, as well as a transcript. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also find Thrifty Homesteader on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. See you next week on Sustainability Book Chat.